What's better than one John? Here's Johnny. Hmm. Nobody really knows. That's why we put two of them together. This is Kenzano and Wilner, a.k.a. John and John. Welcome to another episode of the Kenzano and Wilner podcast. I'm John Kenzano. I am here with John Wilner. You can find my work at johnkenzano.com. That's where I'm writing now. I'm having a blast with it. And I, you can get a free subscription, a paid subscription, johnkenzano.com. Wilner. The Bay Area News Group has to love you. Tell them where they can find you. Back 12 Hotline, courtesy of the mothership, the Bay Area News Group, and we are syndicated media outlets across the Pac-12 footprint. Can't wait to get rolling here. What are you What are you thinking this week? We've I'm got, thinking it's yeah, finally football, right? We've got games. Like, my kids are freaking out. Like, full disclosure, before we get into any of this, my kids are freaking out because in the state of Oregon, where I live, they start school late. You guys have been in school for now a week or two. Other people listening. Yeah, okay. Across the country are all going, what? But we start school late. The kids get out late. I think it's because partially the summers here are so magnificent. It rains so much sometimes in the spring that, you know, they're eager to kind of push it back a couple weeks or whatever. But the kids are freaking out because literally today is the last day of summer for them. And they're complaining to me that we haven't done anything this summer. So... Uh, took him roller skating over the weekend, Wilner. Have you been roller skating lately? I don't think I've ever <laughs> roller skated in my life. I, I'm like two feet on the on the ground person. Uh, I cannot <laughs> skiing, ice skating, roller skating. None of that stuff works for me. When you Even three, bicycling. Yeah. I'm not. Uh, I don't like being on a bike. <laughs> three. Well, so are you going to celebrate? What are you going to do with your kids? We just. We we already celebrated. We went roller skating. Like, what more do you want from dad? I was out there. They were playing like, you know, 1980s music. It was flashing lights and strobes. And I was counting the minutes as we went around and around and around. And much respect for the parents who were out there roller skating. I was not smart enough uh, to get out of it. So we were out there. We made a memory. What'd you do over the weekend? Well, did some work and I celebrated, uh, you know, the last weekend of not having to get up super early to work by getting up super early to go to my kids' baseball games. He had <laughs> games on Saturday and Sunday, 8 a.m. starts, be there at 7.15. was not quite what I had envisioned for that uh, last weekend of August, but, you know, it was super fun. The games were great. What kind of parent are you at, like, a baseball game, a youth baseball game? Uh, I am a parent who does my best to just sit on my hands and not get uh, too nervous for the mm -hmm. kids. Uh, I certainly am not. Uh, I don't say anything to the umpires, even though they're all blind. Do, do, do the other parents look at you like you're the sports writer? You're supposed to know what's going on. Like in key situation, rules interpretation, runner at first, pop up in the infield, somebody's calling infield, fly rule. Does that, do all, do all uh, eyes go to John Wilner in that scenario? No, they do not. Uh, partly because I wear a trench coat and a fake mustache. <laughs> um, no, they don't. But the, you know what they do? Hey, uh, what's going to happen to the Pac-12? Yep. I get that Constant. uh, constantly. Yes. Yes. It's you phenomenal. too, huh? Yeah, I get it. And so my oldest daughter played club volleyball and played it at a pretty high level. Like a couple of the kids that were on her teams are now playing at Pac-12 schools. So one at Oregon and one at Washington, in fact. It, but... Um, I knew nothing about volleyball, right? I was just a parent. I was happy to be at those games. Like 
far happier sometimes than at games that I have to work because you're just watching your kid and I can be a fan. It's like the one place I can be a fan. But I like the official would make a call, the referee would make a call, and I'd have two or three parents look at me and go, what'd you think? And I'm like, I don't know. Like, this is volleyball. This is not my world. But I just, I, I love doing it, love being there, and I bet your kid loved seeing, seeing dad there. The, you know, the, the hotline was there. Sure, yes. I, I don't think the hotline is quite as uh, well-known in, in San Jose as the bald-faced truth is in, in Portland, right? You, you're, you're running that town. I don't know if I'm running it down, but I think you probably, you, you know, because I worked in the Bay Area, and I think part of the thing with the Bay Area is it's transient. People, uh, people have a lot of other things going on, and I think sometimes when you're in a smaller pond and not as much is going on, you probably have more visibility, but... Uh, I love that you're out there at the games and and you're not that parent. Don't be that parent. If you're listening to this, don't be that parent. If you've never umpired, if you've never put on the shin guards and the chest protector and the mask and called balls and strikes, you should not be heckling that umpire, especially if that umpire is a volunteer umpire. Uh, I think if we all spent like one inning out there, we would all know what it's about. I did it when I was 15, 16 years old, and man, it was one of the hardest things you ever have to do. The conflict resolution, the rules, everything that's going on. I mean, it's a difficult job. So yeah, shout out to all the umpires who are listening to this podcast. Absolutely. Let's get into the college football games. You mentioned the games are finally here. Uh, I love it. Let's go through the Pac-12 games if we can and kind of break down what's going to happen this weekend. Let's start with the big Thursday game. Northern Arizona is at Arizona State. That is going to be uh, the first Pac-12 game that will be uh, coming down the pipeline. Uh, what's the spread on that game, Wilner? And I don't have it in front of me. What? Uh, oh, I see it now. No spread. There's. I see no line on that game. Um, Arizona State, what are you looking for from them? Yeah, no line because uh, NAU's FCS, although I'm pro- sure you can find a point spread in an offshore uh, spot. Not that I ever look there or frequent those, uh, yeah. those websites. Not but, that you, you know. could ever get your money if you won the game, if you won the bet, but you could probably find a spread. You know, it's gonna, I think it's going to be interesting because NAU beat Arizona last year. So you'd have to think the Sun Devils are aware of that and maybe are paying attention. But at the same time, uh, I don't know what to make of ASU. There's been so much turnover with the coaching staff, with the with the depth chart. Who knows what we're going to get from them? I, I really don't know. Uh, I, I think it could be close. NAU is a, a good program, and and certainly those kids are going to be looking at you know like they did with Arizona. Hey, this is our chance against an in-state school that thinks they're better than us, and we're going to go show them. This is a great opportunity, I think, for Herm Edwards and Arizona State. I want to be fair to them here because. You know, look, I think they're an easy target because of everything that's gone on, the coaches that have left, all the NCAA probe, all that stuff. This is an important game, I think, for Herm because we're going to talk later in this podcast about the hot seat. And I feel like his seat, probably more so than anybody else's in the Pac-12 coaching ranks, is warm. And this is the kind of game that if you lose, that it just sets the tone for the season. So I think it's a really important game for Herm Edwards and Arizona State. I think they they have to win this game. They have to look decent doing it. I think they do that, and you know his seat, at least for the time being, doesn't immediately heat up. Yeah, I think so. And you know these are important because you know it's a math. In some regards, it's just strictly math, right? You got to get to six wins to get bowl eligible. They also have to play at Oklahoma State. So if they lose this game, or they lose where they got Eastern Michigan. If they're one and two coming out of non conference play it's a lot harder to get to six wins than if you're two to two and one or three and oh, right. Cause, yeah. 
because you got to come through in, in much more difficult conference games. So it, they can't afford to stumble against, uh, you know, NAU or against Eastern Michigan. They got to be two and one coming out of this. Yeah. And I think, you know, I like them to win this game. And I think it's another game for the conference. Like, you know, you're not going to get a lot of credit for the pack as the Pac 12 team beating Northern Arizona, but it has the potential, like Washington's loss a year ago, Arizona's loss a year ago, has the potential to be a bad loss for the conference. So I like Arizona State to win the game. Let's move on to Friday's game. TCU is at Colorado. Uh, that is a uh, that is a night game, and uh, you see Colorado is a thirteen and a half point underdog to TCU in this this uh, big Big Twelve Pac twelve matchup. What do you like? I'll be very curious to see how Colorado comes out. They had that disappointing season last year. Uh, you know, a lot of problems on offense. They got a new offensive coordinator, Mike Sanford. Uh, I I am very uh, interested to see how the quarterback play. Uh, improves or doesn't improve. They lost a lot of guys to transfer portal. You know, the, the things are, I don't know that they're trending down. It's, it's very been an interesting two years, right? They, they beat expectations, Carl Durrell's first year during the COVID stuff. And then they were, they kind of underperformed last year. So I think this is a kind of a pivot point season for them. Are they more like they were in year one or are they more like they were in year two under Durrell? And, and certainly, you know, they got a real hard non-conference schedule. They got Minnesota on the road and Air Force on the road. So getting to two and one in these first three, that's going to be real difficult for them. Yeah, I think it's a tough game for Colorado. They struggled to score points a year ago. TCU was interesting. I think last year, you know, they, they beat Baylor in November. It was a good win for them. That was a top five Baylor team at the time. But then they had other games like, you know, Oklahoma State beat them like 63-17 and Kansas State beat them and West Virginia beat them. And so Iowa State blew them out. Like, so it's not like this is a great Big 12 opponent, but, you know, week one, I just want to see some offense from Colorado. They were so anemic on the offensive side of the ball a year ago. And Carl Durrell talked all about that at Media Day. Need to see them move the ball, need to see them score points because a year ago you could pretty much pencil them in to score like 14 to 17 points in most games. Need to see a better offensive effort from Colorado. Let's move to the Saturday games. Bowling Green going to UCLA and Chip Kelly. Uh, terrible cupcake non-conference schedule for UCLA, and it starts with Bowling Green. Uh, Wilner, what do you like in that game? How do you see that game kind of going down? I just kind of like that game ending, right? Let's get, <laughs> let's get through that game. I mean, look, UCLA's non-conference schedule is not anything to get excited about. It's not all their fault, right? Michigan bailed on them. They had home and home series with the Wolverines set up. Michigan bailed, so they had to scramble. So you can't necessarily blame them uh, for the the entirety of the non-conference schedule. But really, I mean, their season doesn't start till week four. I mean, uh, who's going to be, you know, I, I'll be curious to see how much attention the pay, the players are paying here for these first three weeks. UCLA is a 24-point favorite in this game. They're at home. I don't think that's enough. I think they're going to whack Bowling Green. I think they're. I think UCLA is pretty good, but I think you're right. We're not going to figure out how good they are for several weeks. Um, any any detail of this game that you're interested in? Like in the Colorado game, I want to see Colorado move the ball. Is there anything you want to see from UCLA you're curious about that we, we maybe can learn in this game? Well, they got a new defensive coordinator, Bill McGovern, uh, much to the delight of the UCLA fans. They they uh, they made a change on that side. You know, I'm curious to see how their transfers. They got a bunch of transfers, including the the Murphy brothers from from North Texas. I'm curious to see. You know, can they generate a pass rush? Bowling Green, obviously, not exactly a, a 
offensive line loaded with blue chippers. But I do want to see how these transfers fit within UCLA's defense. Our next game is uh, a big one here in the Pacific Northwest. Oregon is going to Georgia. Number 11 Ducks against the number three defending national champion Bulldogs in Atlanta. Neutral site, using air quotes there. This game opened up around uh, with Oregon about an 18-point underdog. It's now it moved to 17 and a half. I'm seeing some 17s in some places. I'm not surprised by that. Week one, squirrely things happen. Oregon uh, with Dan Lanning may know some state secrets at Georgia. He was the D coordinator there. Georgia's lost a ton to the draft. I'm not sure this is as big a game to Georgia as it is to Oregon. That said, you know, even Mario Cristobal, he told me last week, you know, we talked about this game just briefly in a conversation we had about other stuff. He said he thinks Oregon can win this game. He didn't predict they would outright win it, but he says, I think they can win that game. They have talent on the defensive side of the ball. I don't see them winning, but I think they can play within that point spread, Wilner. I, it, it really will hinge on the quarterback position. I think it's going to be Bo Nix at starter for Oregon, but... I'm just hearing a lot of good things about Oregon's skill guys on the offensive side of the ball and their front seven on defense. I kind of feel like they're going to hang around in this game. Am I being a homer? No, I think they could hang around too. But I think about the Oregon and Washington games against Auburn back in, what was that, 2018 and 2019, back-to-back years. They played Auburn, Auburn and one game was in Arlington, one game was in Atlanta. And fourth quarter, one or two-score game, Oregon's got third, you know, third down and six or whatever. Are they going to protect Bo Nix? Other side of the ball, third and third and six, and and Georgia's got it. Is Auburn is is Oregon going to be able to get off the field? It's those third down, those crucial situation plays in the fourth quarter. You're going to have a huge Georgia uh, crowd. How is Oregon going to hold up at the line of scrimmage? I mean, right? Bo Nix beat the Ducks. Uh, a couple years ago for Auburn, yep. and that that was the that's the flood. It's that fourth quarter. The energy picks up. You know, all those three hundred pounders end up. You know, it, that grinds on you if you're the Pac-12 team. All those big guys on the on the lines of scrimmage for the SEC teams. How's Oregon going to hold up in the fourth quarter at the line of scrimmage? That's what I want to see. Yeah, I'm curious about Dan Lanning's first game too. We saw Chip Kelly go to Boise State in 2008, get beat. They couldn't even get a first down in a game like that. Like, I, we've seen some weird things when it talk when you talk about first coaching games and, and season openers. I remember Oregon State several years ago went to LSU in a very similar circumstance. LSU coming off a magical season uh, at home. Oregon State went in there and saved for three missed extra points. I think the Beavers would have won that game. So I like that Oregon's playing this in the opener. I think it it tips uh, that you put that in the uh, pro column if you're a Pac-12 fan, but I think it's a tall order to ask them to win this game. I I would uh, I would be interested to see like you which way the piles are falling in the third and fourth quarter, and if Oregon can keep this close, I think it's a uh, it's you know the moral victories that coach coaches don't want to talk about. I think in fact for Oregon it would be a big one. Um, let's move on. Let's go to Arizona playing against San Diego State. This is on Saturday as well. San Diego State, I think, would love to be in the Pac-12 conference. Uh, I wrote about it today, and we'll talk about it a little bit later in the podcast. I think they are the prime candidate. I think you'd agree with that as expansion expansion candidates go. But 
Does that factor in your mind in this game? Is San Diego State playing for relevancy? Are they playing to be part of the conference when playing this game? You know, I don't think the players are looking at it in that those terms. I think the San Diego State players are looking at it like they do all their games against the Pac-12. All like all Mountain West players look. Look, we get to play against the Pac-12. Here's our chance to beat these guys. You know, this school didn't recruit me. Yeah. I played against these guys in high school. You know, you get all those uh, personal factors for the players. I don't know that they're thinking about the realignment stuff. Now, San Diego State's administration, maybe a head coach, you know, coaching staff, sure, they may be thinking of it as a little bit of an audition. But to me, you know, the players, the, San Diego State wants to win because it's a Pac-12 opponent. Now, the fact is they, they rolled Arizona last year, so it will be interesting to see how much urgency they have. I would imagine that playing the first game in their new stadium will, will create uh, some energy uh, for them. But Arizona's way better than they – I think they're going to be way better than they were last year. So if San Diego State, you know, kind of leaves a door open, I think Arizona's got a real shot to, to take this to the wire. I was at Colorado State a couple years ago, and they did the same thing. They were, they were opening their expanded stadium, and – it was an absolute ambush. The fans, the players, there was just too much energy in the building for Oregon State, and Colorado State walked off winners. San Diego State gave the Pac-12 fits last year, and even though Arizona is better, I kind of like San Diego State in this game for that reason, for the you know for the pageantry of the opening and the energy in the building, and hey, we want to belong, and I don't know of Arizona how much better they will be in week one, but I, they better bring their A game or... So I think San Diego State is going to punch them in the mouth, and I think it has the potential to be a, a bad loss there. The spread right now, San Diego State is a six to six and a half point favorite in this game. I think that's about right. I think they'll beat Arizona, and I think we'll uh, we'll leave the weekend talking about how how would San Diego State fare on a regular basis in the Pac-12 conference. Probably, and it's interesting that line opened at like eleven or twelve. It's been basically cut in half, so. Uh, at that, no, I'm not sure I would take Arizona at uh, at six or you know less than a touchdown there. But uh, I think it's going to be it's way closer than last year and, and probably in doubt in the fourth quarter. Yeah, and I also think you know you're you're totally right about the players because you know I covered I covered the WAC years ago, and the thing that really surprised me was how much these games meant to those players because they were walking around going. I wanted to go to the Pac-12. I wanted to be part of the Pac-12. They didn't recruit me. Chip on the shoulder. I mean, they're chip on the shoulder pads, so to speak. So keep an eye on that in these games. The uh, the Mountain West teams love the bowl games against those mid-tier Pac-12 teams. I still think Arizona is probably a bottom half of the conference team, even with Jaden Delora at quarterback. San Diego State looks good in that one to me. Cal is hosting UC Davis in a game that... Uh, is always interesting. There's no line on this game. What do you see happening in the Cal Davis game? To me, that's a. I, I just want to see Jack Plummer, Cal's transfer quarterback from Purdue, and see you know does he deliver the ball in any different way than Chase Garbers did, right? Because it's, it's it kind of always gets back to the same thing with Cal in terms of the offense, right? You know they're going to play sound defense. It's just how explosive can they be on offense? You know what, what kind of arm does he have? How quick does he get the ball out? That's to me. That'll that'll be the the big thing. I can't imagine this game is going to be close in the fourth quarter. Yeah, and I think it's you know for for Justin Wilcox, these are the kinds of games where you know, these are the kind of games that put you in bowl consideration. Like you got to win this game. That's a big sky opponent. This is 
you know, a Cal team that has traditionally been very good on defense. I'm with you, though. I want to see the quarterback play because if Cal can find a quarterback and score some points this season, we know that Justin Wilcox will get them in position to to make plays and, and factor. Colgate is headed to Stanford. There is no line on that game. That's a, uh, that's a 5 o'clock kickoff Pacific time. What do you see happening there? Well, I, you know, Stanford, this is their first game against a non-Power 5 opponent in years. It's crazy the way they schedule, and then you factor in the, the, the COVID season. I think it's what, since they played, they went to a UCF. That would have been in uh, 2018, I believe. That was the last time they played a non-Power 5 opponent. Uh, it's, you know, so that alone is interesting. Uh, and just whether Stanford is going to look any, I don't know if we'll get much of an uh, indication, but are they going to be any better running the ball and against the run than, than they have been, than they were last year, right? I mean, th- this for Stanford, this is like the the Davis game against Cal. You got to win. It's all, it gets to the math. If you lose a game like this, you got to make it up by winning a game you're not supposed to down the road. Yeah, and David Shaw, look, I, you know, I got a number of Stanford alumni who will write me uh, who messaged me and write me very frustrated with David Shaw. He said on media day, he was embarrassed by last season. He's got to win this game. And I think it, they have to show some promise in doing so to get, to get that fan base, uh, thinking about the right things. Uh, let's move on to rice at USC. This game's on the PAC 12 networks. This is a three o'clock kickoff in the Pacific time zone rice going to USC. We're going to get to see Lincoln Riley and his team, uh, up close for the first time, or at least on television for the first time. What are you looking for? What do you expect? I mean, anything that's not like 60 to nothing is going to be a huge disappointment for a lot of USC fans, just given the hype that's gone on there for the last six months, right? Yeah, we'll, we'll see how they want to play, uh, you know, commitment to the running game, that kind of thing. I'll be curious to see how many how many people are in the stands, uh, you know, whether it looks different in the Coliseum than it has the last few years. Well, certainly than it did last year and in 2019. But, I mean, this should be, this game should be over at halftime, right? Rice is a 34-point underdog in this game. I want to see a little bit of Caleb Williams. I don't know how long he'll be in the game. If I'm Lincoln Riley, I want to get him some numbers. I want to get him, you know, this is a glorified scrimmage for USC, so to speak. But I think there's some downside potential. You hit on it. If USC doesn't look great, I think we're going to immediately start with questions. So I think it's really interesting because as you look at USC's schedule, um, I think it gets tricky for USC in a hurry, especially with some early games against Fresno State and Stanford where we may find out how physical USC is. Are they overrated, ranked uh, you know, in, in the top 15 in the country? So keep an eye on that. Uh, USC should win that one big. Let's go to Utah in Florida. ESPN might be the biggest game for the conference really, when we look at the landscape, uh, as the Utes now about a two to two and a half point favorite in this game. They opened it like minus one. It was a pick em for a while. Now, uh, everybody loving Utah, Wilner. Do you love Utah? I love Utah. Not afraid to say it. Uh, I just, I think that they are built to win this game because of the continuity from last year. Uh, you look at Florida, a lot of turnover, right? New coaching staff new quarterback, trying to kind of find their footing. Uh, this is a perfect opportunity for, in my mind for the Pac-12 to go in, win a game on an SEC campus. And uh, I think it's the biggest game 
uh, but certainly bigger than the Oregon Georgia game for two reasons. One, I think Utah's got a better chance to be in the playoff hunt than Oregon, and two, Utah's got a better chance to win than Oregon, right? I mean, you, if Utah's going to make a, a real run at the playoff, then they got to 13 and 0 or 12 and 1, right? And if you lose this game, then you got to go undefeated the rest of the way. So to me, this is a gigantic game for the conference. The SEC media members picked Florida to kind of be a uh, mediocre SEC team. The Pac-12 media members picked Utah to win the damn thing and, and potentially compete for a playoff spot. So I think this is a uh, huge game for the conference. I agree with you there. I think amid all the media rights negotiations, it's very important for the Pac-12, I think, to look good in this game, or at least the top of the Pac-12. I like Utah to go there and win. I think they do win. I know there's a bunch of talk about the heat and the humidity and that's all uh, interesting to talk about, but I think this comes down to Cam Rising, Utah's offense, the physicality of Utah on defense. I think Utah wins that game. Won't be surprised if they win it and cover as well because uh, I think that they are the better team in that game, and I think you're getting a little bit in that point spread. I think you're getting a little bit of the anti-Pac-12 stigma that is out there. Uh, so I think Utah's a little better than the 2.5-point spread on that game. Yeah, uh, and also, yeah. you know, 7 o'clock, right? 7 o'clock Eastern start. I've already looked at the weather. You know, it's going to be like Florida. It's eight high of 88 or 90, humid, but at least it's a 7 o'clock and not, you know, 5 o'clock Eastern. I think that's a big deal for Utah. That's that's a great point. Idaho is going to Washington State Pac-12 Network game, 6.30 kickoff Pacific time on Saturday as Idaho plays this game with Washington State. I'm really interested to see Jake uh, Dickert's team and, and Cam Ward at quarterback. I want to see what this quote-unquote co-grade looks like compared to the air raid. Are they going to hand the ball off? Are they going to throw it 70 times? What are they going to look like? That's the thing I'm most curious about because I think Washington State wins that game going away, Wilner. Yeah, I do too. And and certainly they learned their lesson from last year, right? They opened against Utah State, which is a better opponent, but certainly you know they know they got to win. Uh, you'd think there'd be a sense of urgency and, you know, to me, Cam Ward is one of the that he's on the short list of most intriguing players in the Pac-12 this season, uh, just because I have heard so much about his, you know, his natural talent being far, far better than what you'd expect from a quarterback at Incarnate Word. So we'll see if he's as good as advertised. You know, Washington State's got one of the best quarterbacks in the conference and, and then would have a, a real chance to finish, you know, in the, on the top tier. The questions for Washington State for me are at, are on the offensive line, and I don't know if we're going to get the answer in this game because it's a big sky opponent. I don't. I think we're going to have to wait to see how good Washington State could be, but they could be sneaky in the Pac-12 this season. All right, uh, this game, this next game, I think is highly underrated. It might be the second best game of the week in the conference after the Utah Florida game. Boise State going to Corvallis to play Oregon State, 7.30 kickoff on ESPN. Boise State with Andy Avalos as coach. Oregon State with Jonathan Smith as coach. The spread on this game, it opened with Oregon State at minus three. It has teetered around minus three, minus two and a half. What are you looking for in Boise State, Oregon State? Yeah, this is great, right? It's kind of the same thing we talked about with, with San Diego State. Boise State's going to be playing a Pac-12 opponent. doesn't matter who it is. They're going to be ramped up, right? And Oregon State has not won a season opener since, like, you and I were probably in college, right? I don't know when it is, but <laughs> it feels like forever. Yeah. 
since and and some of the teams they've lost to in the season openers aren't as good as this Boise State team. So uh, we'll see. I, it's going to be a tight game. Could could end up being the certainly the most competitive right down to the wire. I I could see that for sure. Pac-12 Network analyst Nick Aliotti, former Oregon D coordinator, went out to Oregon State's practice last week. He told me they are bigger and faster on defense than they have been in some time. I I took note of that. I think they're going to be much better under Trent Bray on defense. The question for them is they don't have a game-breaking receiver again this year. They don't have a speed guy who could take the top off a of defense. So I think they make it easier on opposing defenses who can come down on those intermediate routes, bring their safeties down a little bit. Uh, corners only have to cover within a 15 or 20-yard space. It just makes it easier for defense, and I think that limits Chance Nolan who at quarterback. But I think Oregon State will run the ball, and I think they'll play defense. I just think this is going to be a hell of a game. I think that spread is about right. Boise State always comes to play against the Pac-12. Boise State wants to be in the Pac-12. Oregon State wants to in this weird stadium you know for people who don't know Oregon State's stadium home stadium being renovated they have half a stadium this season they they only seat 27,000 fans whole bunch of Boise State fans are coming to the game I think it's going to be a weird environment and two I think really tough teams that I think are going to both be bowl teams at the end of the year I think this game's going to be great I think ESPN is going to love that they have it on Saturday night you're going to be able to watch it from uh, from Atlanta? Yes, I'm, I'm going to be tuned into it. It's it's one of these things where I wish that Oregon State, Boise State had played in week two or whatever because that would have been the game. But Oregon State goes to Fresno State next week, so it's two tough Mountain West games for Oregon State. Bang, bang, out of the gates. But uh, look for that one. Uh, finally, Kent State, the golden flashes of Kent State, are going to Washington for the opener. Kalen DeBoer's first game, he took out a full-page ad in the Seattle Times over the weekend. Smart move. Whoever's advising Kalen DeBoer gets it, unless he came up with that on his own. But um, Kent State is a 24.5-point underdog. This game opened at 21.5. It's now up to 24.5. Wilner, what are you looking for from Washington? Everything, right? I mean— since everything went wrong last year, I'm looking for all of it. Coaching, you know, the players any better, execution, quarterback play, sense of urgency. I mean, th- this is a team that has got a, needs a completely fresh start and basically forget everything that happened in 2021. And it certainly helps if you got a new quarterback and a new he- new coaching staff. But are we going to see anything different on the field? I I, I think they could end up winning going away. And certainly everybody in that stadium is going to get awfully nervous if it's close at halftime. Yes. And I just, I think Washington was better than advertised last year. I think, you know, I watched them. They, they just underachieved for whatever measure. And I think if Michael Penix Jr. is healthy and as decent as we think he is and DeBoer is won everywhere he's gone, I think, I think Washington's going to be much better this year and, and could be really interesting. You got a favorite? Uh, you got a favorite game? Yeah, let's look at that. Let's let's pick. Let's do like you know how those those betting shows do like the five star pick and they make a big deal about it, and they usually uh, hedge both ways. But let's let's give John Wilner, Bay Area News Group's John Wilner's five star blue special pick. Like you know, if this was the Kmart, be the blue light special. What what is your your pick that you like with the spread this week? You know. Or uh, Utah seems to be that that's the popular pick. And I do like Utah, but I don't want to I don't want to pick the most popular. Uh, I will take the Beavers and give the points Mm. 
Uh, yep, I think it'll be a close game, but I, I like Oregon State down down the stretch at home uh, in that one. You know, this is not – Boise's good, but this is not the Boise State that we think of uh, from years past. Uh, I like the Beavers for a close but uh, well-played victory. How about how about you? If I, if I could pick a money line game, I would take Utah on the money line. I think they're going to beat Florida, and I think they win that game. Uh, I don't love the two-and-a-half-point spread going to the swamp, whatever, week one. But if you make me pick a game with a spread, I, I keep coming back to Oregon, Georgia. You, you want to give me 17-and-a-half? Uh, I'll take Oregon and 17-and-a-half against Georgia. I don't think Oregon wins this game, but I think they hang around enough. And I, th- I think Georgia is diminished from last season. I, think, uh, I don't think Georgia's going to make the college football playoff this year. I think they've lost too much. Uh, we have seen the hangover other than Alabama with some other schools that rise up and win. So I, I'm expecting Oregon in this game to play Georgia closer than the spread, 17 and a half. My second pick would be the San Diego State game. Uh, I think San Diego State's going to cover against Arizona at home with opening that stadium. But I'll go with the Oregon-Georgia game as my pick. Can we talk hot seat for a second? You wrote a great piece, Bay Area News Group's John Wilner with us. I'm John Canzano of johnconzano.com. You wrote a great piece about the warming seats across the conference. Tell us whose seat is warm. Some are warm for different reasons, right? Because I, I look at hot seat as being one of two things. It could be just that you're under a lot of pressure to win because of the fan expectations. And you could be under a lot of pressure to win because you're going to lose your job if you don't, right? And so there's some coaches to me that fall within the first category, like – uh, Lincoln Riley. I think there's a, a lot of pressure on him. He's not going to lose his job after this season, but he's under a lot of pressure uh, to win at a high level, right? To me, the guy who's in, you know, clearly in the most jeopardy of losing his job is Herm Edwards, mostly because of the NCAA investigation, right? Uh, I thought that there was a chance we'd get the the notice of allegations from the NCAA to ASU by the season opener. That is probably not going to happen, given that their season opener is like 72 hours away. Uh, will it come during the season, after the season? I don't know. But I think once it arrives, you know, Herm Edwards is kind of going to be on the clock because I think it's going to be pretty damaging. And so to me, he is by far and away the coach most likely to lose his job, uh, bef- you know, during or after the season. What, what do you who do you think is maybe in a little bit of trouble? I think it's just Herm, right? And, you know, people keep crowing about David Shaw at Stanford, you know, if he goes three and nine again, I, I still think he's safe. Like, I think in that Stanford community, they're going to have a difficult time uh, parting ways with David Shaw. So I think he's okay. And I hear some talk about him and, and I think it's just too early for everybody, but Herm Edwards and maybe Carl Durrell, you know, Chip Kelly's not going to get fired. They just gave him a new deal. Lincoln Riley just got there. Jonathan Smith, they may name a street after him in Corvallis if he makes another bowl game. Dan Lanning just got to Oregon. Uh, Kyle Winningham's not going anywhere. I mean, he's got a deal at Utah that essentially cements uh, his grandchildren and great-grandchildren get to go to Utah and don't have to pay t- tuition. Like, when I look around the conference, it's it's literally Jedfish at Arizona. Too soon, needs more time. They won't fire him unless he pulls a Jimmy Lake on the sideline or something. And then it's Carl Durrell. I also think Rick George, the AD at, at Colorado, would give him at least more one more year. So I think the only seat in the conference that I think really is potentially in jeopardy is the one that Herm Edwards is sitting on. And that's why that opener against Northern Arizona, I think, is really important for him. 
you know, that makes the most sense. It was weird last year, right, with three coaches getting fired during the season. It was like the SEC, right, out here. Uh, and certainly, you know, if you if you discount for the a Jimmy Lake-type episode, uh, it does seem unlikely that anybody will lose their job uh, for on-field performance. You know, I don't think, I don't think Herm Edwards is, would get fired for on-field performance. So it does seem like it could be a fairly quiet uh, coaching uh, cycle for the conference this year, but you never know. I, yeah, I, I just, and Justin Wilcox at Cal too, they just extended him. So I look at anybody who just got extended, Chip Kelly, Justin Wilcox, Lanning just got there. Lincoln Riley just got there. Jonathan Smith got an extension. Uh, I'm throwing those guys out. Like, you know, those ADs are not, while they're worried about where their next dollar is coming from, are not going to want to pay buyouts. Too early for Jed Fish. Probably too early for Carl Durrell, unless they just tank completely. But, uh, you know, I think I think Herm could be in trouble. Yeah. I look at Chip as a... He did get, just get the extension, although UCLA is not does not have a ton of financial exposure. They get, did a good job limiting that with the buyout. I look at Chip, it's basically a two-year deal for him, in my opinion, because they can't go into the Big Ten in 2024 stumbling and bumbling, right? He need, I think he needs to win uh, at a pretty high level both of these next two years or else, you know, UCLA – takes all that money from the big 10 and, and, you know, considers, considers a change because they cannot, they, they can't, they got to put themselves in position to thrive immediately in the big 10 in, in the major sports. And so next, the next two seasons are, are really important for, for their football program and for Chip Kelly. Before we uh, sign off for the week, uh, I wrote about possible expansion candidates, hearing a lot of chatter about, you know, what the back 12 might do. I talked to one AD who said, we absolutely have to chase, we being the conference, have to chase the Mountain West teams, presents ESPN with all the primetime windows in the Pacific time zone, go get Boise State, go get San Diego State, think about Fresno State or uh, others, uh, UNLV too. I had another AD say, no, 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 that dilutes the conference. We should be focused on chasing the Big 12 teams. I handicapped it at johnconzano.com. I certainly think San Diego State is the favorite uh, and a no-brainer. After that, it gets really complicated. But I, I put SMU in the conversation. I put Fresno State and Boise State in the conversation. I found out over the weekend that Boise State has hired some consultants that are uh, interested in exploring expansion into the, uh, into the uh, Big 12 and Pac-12. I don't think the Big 12 makes as much sense for Boise State, but... Wilner, how do you see sort of that landscape and that pool of teams? Yeah, no, I thought that was a terrific column. Uh, I th I look at it as broadly as possible because the Pac-12 can't ignore the potential for the Big 12 to get aggressive, right? Let's just say the 10 schools in the Pac-12 sign a rights agreement for however many years, right? And so starting in the 24th season, they are they're together. Are they together, just just the 10 of them? If they stay at 10, they're leaving you know, themselves open for the Big 12 to come in and add San Diego State or add Fresno or Boise, right, and expand West and carve into that footprint, a footprint that they've already kind of ceded to the Big 10 in a lot of ways. So I think the Pac-12's calculation certainly has got to include revenue, obviously, 
uh, adding teams for game inventory for the night broadcasts, I think is going to be considered, right? They could, they could go to ESPN and say, you know, we'll give you Friday night and Saturday night games. So you got to have enough teams to fill those windows. But the other thing is you got to think of it as a defensive play a little bit, you know, to, to keep the big 12 out or at least saying to yourself, well, if we don't take these teams and the big 12 does, how bad is that for us? And if you conclude it's not a bad thing, then okay, fine. But they can't, they can't ignore the possibility that Big 12 is going to get aggressive. Brett Yormark is very aggressive, and he's going to consider everything. Uh, and, and the Pac-12 can't, can't ignore that possibility. Yeah, I think San Diego State, UNLV, Boise State make more sense to me, and SMU make more sense to me than some others for a variety of reasons, and I won't go deep into it. But here's, here's how I think they matter to retaining Oregon and Washington. Oregon and Washington are looking over at the Big Ten going, how do we get that money? And I think the Pac-12 has got to figure out some creative ways to give Oregon, Washington, Stanford, and Cal potentially a little more money. Just sprinkle them with some money that keeps them happy. The projections are now showing that the Pac-12 members should get about 32 to $34 million potentially out of this round of media rights negotiating. But if you add San Diego State, SMU, UNLV, and Boise State, and you incentivize ESPN by saying, look, you're going to own all the primetime windows in the Pacific time zone. CBS and Fox, you won't have to you know, draft against them like the Big Ten is doing for those windows. You, you get it all to yourself. Uh, I think those four members would take less than a full distribution in the first few years. So all of a sudden, you can justify a media rights deal that, you know, you know, every school maybe gets 32 to $34 million in, but you're only going to have to pay Boise State about $20 million in year one, in year two, in year three, maybe. Boise State's only getting $5.5 million currently under their media rights deal. They're going to be happy to be in the Pac-12 and get $20 million, 15 or 20 Same goes for some of the others, UNLV in particular, and, and obviously San Diego State. So in SMU, you know, there's just an opportunity there to invite those members in, pay them 15 to 20 instead of a full distribution. Now, all of a sudden, you've got a war chest, if you're the Pac-12, of an additional, you know, what is it, 40 to $60 million, depending on what you pay those universities, to distribute maybe uh, a little bit uh, unevenly to your remaining members. You give Oregon and Washington and Stanford and Cal a little more money. Maybe you even give Arizona State a little more money. Maybe you give Utah a little more money. All of a sudden, everybody's happy that these schools are coming in because suddenly the gap between the Pac-12 and the Big Ten and the SEC has been closed a little bit. I mean, that's a fascinating concept to think about. You know, how and how does ESPN value those schools? You know, they're, you know, San Diego State's probably got a different media valuation because of the market size. But, you know, inventory is going to be uh, part of the part of the discussion. It has to be uh, because of the the night games, uh, multiple nights. I mean, if you add enough teams, you can play every Thursday, too. Right. You can basically be coming on when the NFL Thursday NFL games ending or or close. Right. Maybe you start when it's in the fourth quarter and you got Thursday, Friday, Saturday nights. Now, if, if they think that there is value in that, they're going to need they're going to need teams for inventory. The other piece is, you know, how interested is ESPN in the inventory for ESPN plus, right? I mean, more games, more opportunities, and, and they need, they certainly need content for ESPN plus. So 
it's it's an interesting yin yang between uh, an inventory play and a and a, a a revenue play for the conference. In addition to things like institutional fit and all that, I think the Pac-12 presidents need to lower their standards a little bit in this situation. Uh, but we'll see if they we'll see if they're willing to do that. I'm being told, and I think you'll agree with this, that we won't hear anything on the media rights front until after Labor Day. So we should have something, and we'll do an episode on it when we have news on it uh, when this happens for the pack. Yeah, I mean, I, it be could big. be it could be a couple more months now, depending on how it goes, right? I think you're right. It could be it could be sometime in the first, you know, second third week of September. But I also think it could drag in deep into the football season. All right, you can read him. The Bay Area News Group's John Wilner. Tell him again, Wilner, where to find you. Pac-12 Hotline at the Bay Area News Group. We're syndicated across the conference footprint, uh, media outlets, at Wilner Hotline on Twitter. He's johncanzano.com, bald-faced truth, doing everything, right? You got charity stuff, you're, you're, you're roller skating. <laughs> roller skating. <laughs> Were you actually on skates? Yeah, I was on skates. You You're think? a way better man than I am. I I don't know. I might be stupid, you know, but I was out. I Look, I, I just, you know, it, it's no different than when I was like eight or nine and somebody had a roller rink party. There was nothing worse than a roller rink party. I just wanted to play video games or play sports. And these kids would have roller skating parties. And you go there and you go around a few times. And you're like, what am I doing out here? I don't belong out here. But I had fun. And yes, you can read me at johnconzano.com. We'll catch you next week. Make sure you subscribe. Leave us feedback. We love that you're here and you're listening to the podcast. Hey, have a great uh, trip to Atlanta.